Welcome to Deacon's Pod. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulus Affiliate Deacons. Hello, this is Deacon Drew. Hello, this is Deacon Tom. Hello, I'm Deacon Mark. So today we have a new Paulist affiliate deacon visiting us. He's been here before, Deacon Mark Aislin, Tom, and Drew. The usual suspects are actually on assignment. Actually, Drew, his assignment is in Rome, so that's a pretty sweet deal. That's where he is. And Tom, well, we can't talk about what he's doing. So how you doing, Mark? I'm doing okay, Dennis. Good. It's good, good to, be to back. have you. Yeah. yeah. Did I drive away, Tom and Drew? I mean... No. No, no. Okay. No, no they All don't right. have, You can't. You, you can throw rocks at them. Those two, they don't have enough common sense to know. They can't read the room. You know what I'm saying? They overstay their welcome. You got nothing to worry about with them. They're impervious. But we got a, an interesting topic today, I think, something that people generally don't even know about, their mind think about, and that is chaplaincy. Today, we're going to be talking to two Paulist police chaplains. One's a Paulist de- affiliate deacon like us. And the other is a Holy Father of the Paulist Fathers. They both happen to be police chaplains. One's police and one's sheriff. I understand that you got to make sure you get the right nomenclature on that. Yeah. We'll be talking to them. But the chaplain thing is something most people aren't aware of, Mark, huh? Yeah, you know, there are all kinds of chaplains, and it's such important work, right, to be present as Christ to other people, but in a context that's often uh, multi-faith or people who don't have any faith at all. And so you're there to serve, right? And you're out in the it's, world. You're not in the And church. you're out in the world. You may be at a hospital, you may be in a prison, in hospice, uh, the police chaplaincy that we're going to talk about today. And that has got to be particularly trying in these times. The past couple of years have been a really difficult time in our society with a lot of challenges to police work and internal problems within the law enforcement community. And so dealing with these individuals as people in this uh, particular time, and then the people that they're serving is uh, such an important but difficult work. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what they have to say about that. Yeah, yeah. We owe them a debt of thanks for dealing with the difficult, ugly parts that most of us do everything we can to make sure we can avoid. So, yeah, they're good guys for doing it. So let's, without further ado, Mark, let us join Father Charlie Donahue and Deacon Patrick Murphy Racy and talk to them about their work as police chaplains. We have a special podcast today because we have two guests. Paulus Father Charlie Donahue is the pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in Knoxville. He was previously the associate director of St. Thomas More Newman Center at The Ohio State University. He's from Massapequa on Long Island in New York and received his undergraduate degree from Fairfield University. He worked in publishing for many years before entering the Paulus Novitiate in 1999. In his free time, he enjoys hiking, cooking, and reading. Father Charlie is also a City of Knoxville police chaplain. Welcome, Father Charlie. Thank you, Mark. We also have today Deacon Patrick Murphy Racy, who is a deacon at St. John the 23rd Parish on the campus of the University of Tennessee. 
He has a degree in photojournalism from Marquette and worked as a photojournalist and photographer for a few decades now to include being a former regular contributor to Sports Illustrated. He's married with two children and is an avid, and I mean avid, motorcyclist. His primary ministry outside of the parish is being a Knox County Sheriff's Office chaplain. And I will also mention that he is a Paulist Deacon affiliate. In fact, Patrick and I made our promises together, along with Patrick Ouellette, whom listeners will also get to know soon. So welcome, Deacon Patrick. Thanks so much, Mark. It's great to be here. So, gentlemen, what is a law enforcement chaplain? Father Charlie, would you mind starting? Sure. The best way that I have found to describe it is rooted in the word Emmanuel, you know, that's one of God's nicknames. And the translation for that can be God is with us, can also be God is for us. And so what I try to model as a police chaplain is that I am with them and I am for them as individuals, as a squad, as a collective. And that sort of helps me guide how we do this. We want to be of service to the officers as well as of professional service to the officers. So if they're having trouble or their families are having troubles, we're available for them. At the same time, we're professionally available where they can ask of us certain things. The most particular one is around death notifications. And that, that can be one of the more sensitive parts of it. But we're called to be of servant. I think it was what, Leo? Leo the Great, servant of the servants of God. Their job is to protect and serve. And our job is, in a sense, to protect them and serve them in a more agape as persons and profession. Patrick, what might you add to that? Just what Father Charlie said is great, and it's totally true. Because the Knox County Sheriff's Office has a massive jail, we do a lot of death notifications in the jail. We respond when officers call us out to scenes that almost always include death. So that would be death of natural causes. It would also include suicides, murders, accidents with cars where people die, things like that. So that's where we are used. I would say chaplaincy also has two prongs to it. One is servicing the public, and the other is looking towards and walking with the officers. So we do a lot of ride-alongs to, do, to accomplish that, to be in relationship with them. Right. And I ride as often as I can, which is about 100 hours a month. It's a crazy thing, but I, I do it quite a lot. I don't do it quite that much, but I try to get, get around with that. I don't pastor a parish, so it's a little easier for me to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I imagine that working with officers requires developing trust. How do you develop trust with officers? I, part of that, I'm sure, is the time you spent with them. But are there other ways that you develop that? Very brief, funny story that sounds kind of silly when you think about it outside of the law enforcement world. But I was on a ride along, like Patrick had met, like, he, like Deacon Patrick mentioned. And we were called to a, a place and it was fairly late at night and in the two to 3.30 a.m. range. And it was my second ride along and there were three police cars pull in very quietly. I did not notice that they were all getting out of their cars without making any noise of the car door. And I get out of my passenger seat <laughs> and slam the door and I get 
six officers just turn and look. And it felt like when your cell phone goes off in the middle of church, but as I, I wanted to make sure the door was closed and it just, I slammed the door. And, but that led to some really great conversations around like how to be when you're with them and how to support them in something as silly in a sense as how you close your car door. And, and that, that led to uh, some really fruitful discussions. My favorite time of a ride along is when somebody is, has got the radar gun out on one of the highways around here because he's, he or she is just holding that thing out the window, waiting for the numbers to hit 80. And, and we have the, it's just, there's nothing to do but have conversation and uh, listen to their story. And again, I, I guess the thing about trust would be to be a good listener and to know that you are trustworthy in terms of where what they share with you does not go. How do you manage the professional boundaries and the confidentiality as a priest, Father Charlie? That comes second nature, I'm sure. But what are some of the ways that you might do that? What Father Charlie said is really true. The, uh, the blue are really tight and they are very shut down to the outside world. And if they let you in and you repeat something that you heard, like if it's a rumor or something you said about somebody else, it is going to get back to the person that told you and it's going to be over. You'll lose your shot altogether right there. You'll for sure lose it for that duty shift, but you might lose it for the entire department or sheriff's office. So if we hear something or whatever, we cannot repeat it. I would go to jail before I would repeat something that was going to affect someone in a negative way, if that makes sense. Confidentiality is like our, it's really a, it's essential. It's a paramount, it's seminal to what we do. So this would be a good place to mention that in different jurisdictions, there are different requirements. That's right. This is all a local thing. There is not a national way to set this up. So every department basically sets their own standards of who they want, what they want, what kind of training they have. Well, while that's true, Deacon Dennis, there is an international conference of police chaplains, and they have that organization has a lot of best practices articulated for everybody. And, and part of being, at least on, on our side as a city police chaplain, we're all members of, of that organization. And it informs sort of the basics from pretty much wherever we go. I liked, Father Charlie, you began with talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And if you could expand on that, on how you are able to exercise this ministry with officers who are not all Catholics, right? They're from all different walks of life, different religions. And so how do you reach out to people of different faiths and how do you express your ministry in that way? Well, as a Paulist father, interreligious and ecumenical representation and dialogue is, is has been baked in into the history of the Paulist ministry. And so that so there is a lot of training that had happened with me on that in general. I live that out mostly as a university chaplain, where you are the Catholic chaplain, you're one of the Catholic chaplains, but you're working with an entire group of, of either faithful or maybe even not so faithful people. On the chaplain side here, it's, uh, it boils down to disrespect. I know that some officers have asked me some pretty direct questions about why we believe some of the things we believe, why we do what the things we do as, as a celibate. I've had a couple of questions come up around that, around like, how do you do that? And it's, well, actually, there was, there's one 
a number of years ago where it was late and we're talking about everything. And this one fellow officer just said, you know what? I don't get it. Like you, you're, you're just celibate. What is that? And he said, don't you get lonely? And I said, yeah, I do. Uh, and he said, well, what do you do about that? And I didn't think too hard on this, but I said, I go on right a lot. And that was a way to just bridge that, that sense of who we are as faithful people. I am one of, am I one of one? I think I am one of one right now as a Roman Catholic priest, city of Knoxville chaplain. I think there's a, another fellow who's a deacon, but that, yes, this is not New York where you can swing a cat and hit five Catholics, but there is a kind of critical mass here, but we're called to serve. And, and I think if someone is looking at being a chaplain to the people in your own faith, then you don't want to be a, a law enforcement chaplain. You probably get questions about what your role is, but what a deacon is, let alone your role as a Catholic. Yeah, sometimes people down here, the percentage changes depending on who you talk to. Between three and six percent of the population is Catholic. So you are almost always going to be not with a Catholic person. There are a few Catholic officers, but they're pretty unusual. So yeah, it's there are questions about that. And, and, and one of the big things is that de- about deacons is that they don't understand that deacons are ordained. So di- diaconate is an ordained ministry uh, in a very few faith traditions. And so they're used to being an elder. A deacon is interchangeable with elder. So, and I'm not that old, all I'm getting there. So, but I think people really discover who we are, not so much by what we say, but what we do. And showing up at funerals for officers, yep. families. Yep. When we had a tragedy where there was a, a little baby that was born a couple of years ago and he died after six days of living, I went to the funeral and then Google Calendar is one of my most powerful assets because when that little boy died, I put it on my calendar, the anniversary of his death. And I call his dad and his mom, actually, they both work for the sheriff's office. So I call them every year on that anniversary and I just say, hey, I just want to let you know, I remembered and people really, that really is a big deal. And so I think that the currency that we work in really is friendship. Uh, I've had officers over to my house to teach them how to change the oil in their car. I've done, I've moved them a lot. Like I've got a, a long bed pickup truck, which is a really big mistake if you're in ministry, because people always call you for that. But I think just being yourself and showing, just keep showing up. That's what it goes, man, they're not paid by the way. None of us are paid. So that's really unusual too. We do this all as a volunteer, so yeah. they get it. Yeah. To, to, to dovetail into something uh, Deacon Patrick just said, too, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that we are only chaplains to the officers themselves and the officer corps themselves, right? It's all inclusive in the law enforcement family. Uh, as you said, like p- folks who work in the sheriff's office, one of the crucial ones here is, and it's right by my house, it's right by our rec- the Paulus houses, but is the 911 emergency call center. And that, honestly, as a New Yorker, it looks like a 1980s stock market pit of just people on the phone, screens everywhere, and they're helping people and they're talking to people in literally the worst moments of these people's lives. And so they're holding their hand through the phone, as well as getting all this information that the officers and the chaplains and the medical examiner and the ambulances can all work in concert together 
And it begins with these very lovely, completely stressed out, amazing people that are on the other end of the 911 call. So let me ask this question. Okay, so you're all volunteers. Are there, that you know of in the country, are there any paid chaplains? Like prison chaplains sure. are, yeah. are yeah. often Prison paid. chaplains are usually paid. And sometimes mm-hmm. it can be the case. But there, we have paid positions in the county where if there's two co-coordinators that coordinate all the 37 people and they do training and stuff like that. So there are some perks there. But typically, by and large, chaplains are not paid. Are you specifically trained by the department for this bringing the seminary training you had to the and getting in the car and hoping for the best no that that was actually the biggest surprise in this for me and deacon patrick may this may have been your experience too but it it really just began with i was at an event with the chief of police at the time and we had a great little talk and she just said hey call my office tomorrow and i think you might be interested in our chapel program and i assume that I would meet him, I would meet somebody else, and then they would give me a, a hat or a vest or something, and I'd be a police chap. But <laughs> it was months, every Saturday from eight to four, and they just unraveled for us what we'd be called to do. Best practices, never practices, and the ramifications of these things. And that came true for me and I'll, I'll be brief. I, I was called to do a death notification after someone had made a wellness call, right? So they were concerned and they called and the person was deceased. And I was asked to go to the house of the person who made that call to let them know. And I get there. And again, Deacon Patrick knows this feeling too. You're going to walk up that little walkway. You're going to go on that stoop. And you're going to give them, and the time for this person you speak to is going to be divided by before that doorbell rang and after that door. And the woman who came to the door said, oh, I'm so glad it's you. And I had my shirt on with the logos and stuff, and I figured that's what it was about. But we talked for a little while, and eight years ago, I had made the death notification to her about her husband. And what we talked about, and for her, we like, we talked yesterday about that in, in, in the way a human being reacts to that. And that was a real, that was a real kind of, not slap in the face, but a, a good kind of confirmation, old fashioned slap in the face of like, this is serious what you're doing and it, to be intentional and to try to remember and to know that what we're representing as chaplains, we're, we're, we're representing both of the faiths as well as cops. And so I do think that there's a real beauty in that. And there's a real need for the training. You know, it's like mission work. If you were being assigned to some foreign country, you, would, you wouldn't even need to say it. They'd tell you, you got to learn the language. You got to learn the customs. You got to, right. before we drop you off there, we're going to make sure you know what end is up and how to, how to, what to do, what to not do. That's important. And not only legally, because you're in a legal situation and all this, but if you want to minister to these people, you have to understand their world. Mm -hmm. In this case, their job, their fears, their, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people just, I hear people, I have a lot of cops in my family and law enforcement, secret service, state police, you name it. And uh, you got to understand the fear that I'm going to work and there's a good chance I might not come back. 
Right. And like with all the gun shootings, where you have these tragedies and you have these outrages and all that's put those to one side, those extremes. But just in general, I know that from my brothers and other people and stuff that, that the police are fearful. So I remember when I was a prison chaplain, I had a volunteer that always complained about you had a sally port where you'd go into this area, they'd lock the door behind you before they opened the door to let you into the compound. And you had to stand there sometimes five minutes, sometimes six, seven minutes. And they would complain about it. And the reason they didn't get it, and I was always talking about it, is they never went into the control area where that officer was and had any idea of what he was juggling. He's not just making you wait because he's being a jerk. I mean, he's got the warden on one line. There's a disturbance down in this tier. There's stuff going on, and you're just going to have to wait a, a minute or two till he can get over there and push that button. But understanding the world you're in, in this case, the cops and door right. slamming and whatever else you got, is the only way you have a chance of being part of their world and practicing this ministry of presence you've already described. And most civilians don't get the world. We're not part of that world. There is a great book. I'm forgetting the name of the author, but it's called Bullets in the Dryer. And it's a reflection by the spouse of their officer. And you know how if you leave a quarter in your pocket and you can hear it in the dryer, for her, there's, you know, that's making that noise and it's because there were some bullets in the pocket. It creates a whole home and life and dynamic. And I, to go back to what Deacon Patrick said a few minutes ago, the best way to achieve that, the best way to come close to, to aspire to achieve that is with Riley. And sometimes the officer is excited he has a ride along. Sometimes the officer is not that excited that he has a ride along. But we're able to see what they go through and they can share as much as they want to share. And the more you get to know the culture, the better it is. I have two quick stories that are related to what Charlie said before. Great. One night, I'm a little addicted to ride alongs. The rush is always there. And the county that I work with is, is really different than the police department. I used to do both at the same time, actually, and now I just do the county. But there's a lot more freedom for the officers to be themselves and whatever, and also to get in trouble sometimes. But anyway, one time I had ridden two shifts. I'd started day shift at 6 a.m., and I'd, then they got off at 2.30, and I switched to the next shift and rode until midnight. And then I switched again to third shift, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, I was falling asleep in this guy's car, and uh, I, I thought, I just got to go home. And I said, look, man, I'm sorry, I, I, I got to go home. And he's, yeah, I, I, was, I was driving you to your car. So I get in the car and I realize I'm, I've got this terrible stomach ache. And then I think back and realize I hadn't eaten since 11 a.m. And it's 2.30 in the morning. So I go to Waffle House, you know, because it's always open. And uh, I walk in the Waffle House and there was nobody there. And there's just a waitress. Typically, there's a waitress and a cook or a waiter and a cook. And I walked in and there was just the waitress there. And the cook must have been a smoke break or something. And she turned around and looked at me and fell on her knees and started crying. And I was like, what in the world? And then I realized I'm wearing a bulletproof vest that says chaplain on it. And she thought I was coming for her. And I said to her, look, I'm looking for scattered, smothered, crispy. That's it. I'm not here for you. And it took her like 15 minutes to calm down. And because she'd been visited by a police chaplain in the past. I felt really bad about that. And by the time I was done, we were laughing about it, but it was really, 
that's the level of intensity that, that chaplaincy gets you into sometimes. One other incident, I thought I was dying, literally. I, had, I made my son, who was 15, drive through red lights to take me to the hospital to the ER. I, I thought I was having a heart attack. Turned out I was having my very first ever kidney stone, and that's why I thought I was dying. And I get into the ER, and they're working me up, and they're giving me morphine and all this stuff, and the doctor's there. And finally, the doctor all of a sudden stops and looks at me and says, oh, you don't remember me, do you? And I was like, no. And she's like, you were at my house last June. And I, she said, you talked to my daughter who was going off to college on the front porch of our house for an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, yes, ma'am, I, I do remember you now. And basically, it was a suicide in her family. So it's just, you just don't know what you're going to run into. But I've already had the deal where I've done a death notification or showed up to a death scene and I've already, I already knew the people twice. It's so bizarre. Very strange. Small world. This would be just a, uh, following up on that, just to clarify for the listeners, we need to understand that this is not being a parish priest or parish deacon, what you're doing here. You're not preaching the gospel. You're not giving sacraments. And you are ministering to people of every and no faith. Right. And so this is more on a human level. So to, to clarify, make sure everybody understands what you guys are doing, you are offering advice, comfort, counsel, making referrals to their minister or rabbi or whatever, imam, whatever they got, or what to maybe to a psychologist or something to deal with something, some trauma. So you're doing those kinds of services and being present and listening and, and, and comforting and all that. And you're being, you're walking into and being trained for, I assume your training dealt with, besides death notifications and the protocols and how do you do that, you also had to be trained in dealing with suicide and with uh, domestic violence and the kind of things that they're going to call a chaplain too. So it's not at all what the average person, particularly an average Catholic, thinks, well, you hear, I got a priest, I got a deacon. So they're doing Catholic stuff out in a cruiser. And they're not. It's a different role. In fact, in some ways, it's almost a mental health role or it's a ministry that's truly spiritual but not religious as some people say that because you're talking about spiritual things, but you're not doing dogma or something like that. Is that a good summation? The only thing I, I would take exception to is the advice part. I remember mm -hmm. talking to Father James Lloyd, who, as a Paulist father living yeah. in New York, he yeah. did 40, 47 years of chaplaincy right. with NYPD detectives. And I asked him one time, I said, hey, I've only done this a couple of years. Do you have any advice for me? And he said, yeah, don't give any advice. Yeah. <laughs> And so you have to be really careful. There is advice given occasionally, but it's only with dear friends who have, you've earned their respect and things like that. And really we're like Charlie said, we're more listening. We're more, we're like really focused on what people are saying and then trying to be empathetic to them. One of my heroes in all this is a guy named Mike Patty and a dear friend and one of the coordinator fellows. And one of the things he said this years ago at our training, and I thought about this as a priest as well, right? He said, there's really only one chapel and, and it's all of us. But in terms, but we represent all of us at the same time, in a sense. And so it, it, there is a sense of, it's hard to describe. If I go back to my other model of Emmanuel, I am with you, I am for you, right? The, the third piece to that is that 
but I'm not one of you. And I know that. And I'm here for you anyway. Because they have, I can have a traumatic experience on a ride along. Uh, they live this every day. And so there isn't a partness as much as there is a togetherness, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And we want to, and we respect that difference. But that difference also gives us a, an ability to be there for them. I'm virtually certain that there's an EAP program if they need it and stuff like that. But and and what's an EAP program? Oh, sorry, em, employee assistance, like an employee assistance program. Right? And that would do. We, well, that that would basically re- help refer them to different resources, uh, at, for mental health stuff like that. Right. And that way, I'm not overplaying my hand in a sense of what I'm qualified to do. There's just a beauty in being together with that. I was asked by some, even some of my brother Paulists, like why I do this. And fr- from a social justice aspect, of, as you all know, over the past couple of years, uh, especially over the last few years, there's been a real acknowledgement of a sense of racism. Uh, there's been a, a, just a sense of what it means to be on team police, right? And I do think that is something that we all struggle, right? In the same way, I said, there's only one chaplain. There's really only one police officer. What do you think? Who they represent and how sure. they represent sure. Oh, sure. They all get blamed for if something happens on the news. It's just like being a priest. You know, it's, well, you've got okay. these issues and you're one of them. That's true. But there's a kind of a, a deeper sense in there, too, of the cops both policing themselves, in a sense, and letting themselves be policed, in a sense. We have a, a new, for the chief of police in the city, we have a, a new fellow who just about has a year. Chief Knoll, and a part of his vision is kind of moving the organization itself forward on being more multi-ethnic, multicultural, in a sense, of how we respond and whether we're going to bring a social worker in on the call as well as an officer and things like that, where we can be of service to them. Has that been your experience, Patrick? Yeah, I remember when George Floyd happened. When he was murdered, I mean, he was definitely murdered, my opinion, but some very few officers would, I think, disagree with that. But I remember having great conversations, really wonderful conversations in the car, driving around the cruiser about that. And they questioned their training, the officer's training. And there was a a certain sadness that I felt when I learned more and more about what happened to George Floyd, that the guy that was the primary instigator, he was a field training officer. And he was with a guy that he had just finished training, like he had done fourth phase in his car. So whatever that guy said, that younger officer is going to do. That's just what you have to do. And it's really sad. You know, neither one of them are cops anymore for obvious reasons. But yeah, but I still, especially when I travel, it's amazing. I, I travel a lot by air and there are often officers from various departments in the airports. And I will go and approach them and say, hey, how you doing today? So I'm, I'm a chaplain from Knoxville, Tennessee. And as soon as you say that, the relationship changes instantly because Charlie said, they know that I'm for them and I am. And the one bad officer in a hundred or a thousand or 10,000, it is so injurious to all of them. It just, it's really tough. It's a tough deal, but it's a great dialogue to be in. And I think it's great as a deacon to be out of the parish. I think that to... A certain degree, I think that diaconate, even though it's just so young compared to priesthood, 71 or whatever, it's a, it's a radical thing. But I think that we have 
to some degree been institutionalized. And I think serving as a police chaplain has just really been an eye-opening experience. It gets me out in the community. It gets me meeting all kinds of people I'd never meet otherwise. And it puts me in these incredibly difficult, stressful, sad situations where it is the worst day of people's lives. And it's so such a powerful part of what I do. I just want to point to something Father Charlie said and that Patrick picked up on that I find really interesting for all of us and, and maybe for our listeners, because we, we generally try to aim this podcast. The idea is to people on the threshold of the church. They're either coming in, thinking about coming in, or they're thinking of going out, like, what am I doing with this? And Father Charlie being questioned by other priests about why would you be on team police, I can remember, of course, getting that when I was a prison chaplain, inmates. Let them rot. Let them go to hell. What are you doing with them? Why are you on team inmate being a prison chaplain? And I've also gotten the same question of why am I still a Catholic with all the scandals and the craziness. So I find it interesting that a priest would be, uh, shall we say, somewhat scandalized that you were working with police officers because the assumption of all of those things, which I'm way too old to believe if I ever did. I think I did maybe when I was younger and, and really idealistic and naive. But the assumption behind all those questions is there's a pure world and you're not in it. And it's all broken. The world is in brokenness, whether it's the church, whether it's the cops, whether it's the prisons, whether it's your family, whether it's me. I'm the poster boy. I'm on to myself enough to know that. So I just think it's interesting that that came up because that's probably what a lot of people that we try to aim this podcast are wrestling with is the scandal of the church, the impurity of it all. It's, well, yeah, the, you know what I mean? Come on in and let's get to work because that's the way it is everywhere, unless you're in denial. There are people in denial. No, not us. That doesn't happen here. But so I thought that was just interesting. You got that question, Father Charlie. Uh, to push that a little bit further, I, and again, I, I'm pretty sure I can speak for both of us. Patrick, correct me if I'm wrong. But one of the things that is a real relief in this is, and when, again, when I was first asked about a decade ago to, to consider this, I was afraid that, is this part of the PR machine? Is the chaplaincy part of the PR machine? And what I'm really loving about how it is, at least in this county, at least in this city, is that we're not part of the PR machine. We are very much in the background of service. And the thing, that, again, you made the comparison to priests. At some point, yes, we're all fallen, right? But how we pick up and the transparency in how we pick up and how we self-regulate, how we do. And uh, again, like we have a, a new chief and one of the things, if the year is new, and one of the things is I've asked a couple of the fellows and I, some of the officers, what do you, how's it going? Do you like it? And, and one of the things one guy said was like, we'll find out one of these days. So what do you mean? He said, well, the first real crisis, crisis, we're going to see how he handles it. And then we're going to decide. And, and I just thought that was really healthy. And I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, right? But I think that's a really healthy response of just, you want to be, uh, St. Paul, you know, be doers of the word, not just hearers. You want to walk the walk. And one of the things officers have a hypocrisy meteor. I mean, people lie to them all the time. And, and if you try to snowball anything or blow smoke or any of that stuff, they see it before you even finish the sentence. Father Charlie mentioned crisis, and that's where you really figure out what you're doing. And occasionally, it's very easy to get overwhelmed on certain scenes. And um, there's one scene that I can't really describe it right now because it would be fair to the people who went through it. 
Um, you think, oh my God, how am I going to cope with this? How am I going to continue? This is so terrible. And then when that happens, it's really neat, but I think about the tabernacle at John the 23rd, and I think about who's inside. And hmm. just the vision of that, if I keep that in the foremost of my brain, then I'm able to just proceed. And one other thing is following a crisis. I actually got shot at once back in 2017. I was with a whole bunch of officers, and there was a guy with an AR-15, and he was actually shooting at us. And I've never been downrange before, as officers like to say, or veterans. It's a really different experience. And I found I was fine the next day. I was fine a week later. And then two weeks later, I found I was really having difficulty getting out of bed. <laughs> I couldn't get up in the morning. And I finally realized after the third day of this that I was really having a problem. And mm. the people I turned to were not actual chaplains. They were officers. Yeah. And I'll tell you, once uh, yeah, you yeah. make that, all of a sudden, it's like the floodgates mm. open and they tell you everything and you're telling them everything. And there's a sort of a sense of acceptance because you've been through it with them. And even now, there's all these young guys coming in and, and young women too, because there's so many people leaving policing in general across the country. So there's all these new people and they often just look to the older officers. And when the older officers accept me, when I show up in a restaurant, when we're eating together and there's five or six of us, it's like that acceptance trickles down to them too. Well, he must be all right. He's here with them and they're like, cool with it. So, okay. You just mentioned being in some pretty hairy situations. So you're experiencing stress alongside with the officers. How do you deal with that stress? And, and how does your faith, your own personal faith, play a role in your spiritual well-being? In my experience, the only real answer to that is talking and listening, talking through and listening. We've already in a couple of training situations where and one of the things that I like about the training, like some of the training situations we had, it was a group of us sitting there, right? And they gave each one of us a piece of a scenario where that would be like, oh, you've got a guy in a driver's seat. You have uh, two other officers here. You've got your chaplain in the ride along. And you each has, have a vantage point to whatever the action is that's different. That you're seeing different things. And who saw what? How do you do it? And, and it's real. And some of us see things that honestly, people aren't really meant to see and live to tell about. And it's, it can be harrowing, right? And then you want to be able to talk about it. I have never met an officer or an employee of the department that said, stop talking about that or we're not going to go there. Like it's, it, you have to name these things that you've seen and that you carry with you. Priesthood helps, right? This might get a little pushback and I'm okay with that. Yes, I'm with them. Yes, I'm for them, but I'm not one of them. That's a real temptation. It's a lot like being a campus minister, only in a funner way. It's like at this point in my life, I'm older than the parents are on drop-off weekend. You know, and, and that wasn't true for 15 years. And so if I'm a campus minister who pretends to be an undergraduate, it's a disaster, right? And I'm a police chaplain and I'm with them and I can socially be with them and I can professionally be with them. The good ones also know that you're not used to this, what we just went through. So we're going to park under this tree and we're going to talk about it as we wait for the next call. 
And that's very helpful. Well, that's true of every person who's ordained, or I would say even the sisters or brothers. If you have a, a professional, let's say, to cover all the bases, religious role, you are separate from the people you minister to. There's always that. That's the old idea of holiness, of set apart. And you're never going to be one of the boys. You're right. just not. They might have lunch with you or whatever. I went through that in prison. You're not. You're in the world, but not of it. You know what I mean? They know that. And that's part of your effectiveness is that this is, you know, another country heard from or whatever. I'm not the same as everybody else. And that's part of why they want to talk to you too. So it goes both ways. I might feel alone on a call, right? But I got 40 other, 30, 30 other city of national police chaplains, and I can call any of them. They can call me 24-7 anytime. Hey, this happened. I need to talk about it. I'm just going to add one thing, if I could. When you go to church on Sunday and you look out of the congregation, in my case, I'd be proclaiming the gospel, for instance. You know, you look out at all the people and you figure, well, most people out there are okay. When you step in a police car, <laughs> nobody's okay. And um, also you learn very quickly that, you know, when you call 911, it's those broken people that Dennis is talking about that are responding to broken people. So it's really a wonderful place to be. And if you're a deacon out there and you're hearing this, hey, find me, call me. I want to talk to you about police chaplaincy because it is rewarding beyond belief. It really is. Absolutely. One last thing too, the opioid crisis has just been unbelievably devastating for all first responders. There are just people dying every day in every city, no matter how large or small from this crisis. And it got so intense that we actually had to make a new 10 code. We used 1038 for all overdoses and sick people are all the same thing and we couldn't do it anymore. So we now have a 1037, which is an overdose from opioid. And I've watched so many people die in front of me or be revived with Narcan. And this is in every parish, every parish. It, there's no parish that's like going to be exempt from having the opioid crisis within. People may not talk about it, but it's there and it's real. Being on as police chaplains, it's really like getting a firsthand view of on the front lines of this crisis. It's just devastating. Yeah, it's amazing. And that's why we did the previous episode we did on addiction and the 12 steps. Yeah. Because it is everywhere. It is just massive denial that we're going through as a society. It's in your parish. If there's any pastors listening or whatever, I think it's 20% are addicted in this country. So look out there, Father, and one-fifth of those people looking back at you, and certainly, if not them, someone in their family. I'm amazed that the church has not incredibly stepped up its focus on dealing with addiction and recovery because they're right there. That's not like those people over there. They're, they're us. So it's a very traumatic thing, Patrick. And it's a great thing to be with the suffering. We romanticize it. But being a police chaplain and seeing people at their worst, seeing people who are devastated, and then seeing the people who had to respond to that I got, I, again, I got a lot of first responders in my family. I got, my daughter calls herself the queen of Narcanistan. She runs mm -hmm. a, she runs the clinic for the homeless in Boston, which is up on methadone mile where they corral them all in. And then she's running out with the Narcan to revive people. And just the, the, it's real trauma she's involved in every day. And, you know, my wife's a nurse. I got brothers that are police officers. And uh, of course, I just, I did 21 years in the prison full time. 
And it does take a toll. And, you know, I just can't tell you, I mean, you both have my admiration because I have some vague idea of the pain you are absorbing to bring healing to others. It's not a free or romantic thing to do or an easy thing to do. There's a price that you're all paying, and I admire you both for it. And I thank you for sharing it today with us. Yeah, I would just say this, that about chaplaincy in general, many people go through life and they may feel like they may have been called at one time to be a priest or a deacon or a sister or a brother, and then they got married and whatever, and it just, life takes turns and stuff like that. And chaplaincy is a wonderful way to express that nature of Christ that is servant. It's so beautiful to be of meaning and purpose, real meaning and real purpose in people's lives, even for a short time. We're first responders as ministers. We may never see people again that we visit and are with. The the point is that do they remember Christ after we've gone? And it's just, if you're in a parish ministry for five years, you are probably going to deal with a suicide. You're probably going to deal with overdoses. In, in law enforcement chaplaincy, we're dealing with this every week. It's constant. And so it gives me so much help with my parish ministry because there's really nothing people are going to come up with at, at church that I haven't had some experience with at this point. See with the eyes of Christ. That's what I try to do when I walk into a scene. I go, man, what is the Lord? I know the Lord's heart is broken. And so I'm broken. But if you're interested in chaplaincy, you know, hospitals hire chaplains, hospice places hire chaplains. You may have to get some training and stuff, but you don't have to be an ordained person to serve in this role. Find a place to serve because if you've got that heart for it, you're needed. I mean, you are needed. I guarantee it. Thanks for a great conversation, Father yeah. Charlie, Deacon Patrick. So thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having us. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulist Fathers and is a ministry of the Paulist Affiliate Deacons. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.